American history is full of the good, bad, and everything in between. But in the end, these are our stories. Today's episode will cover the United States Colored Troops, Pennsylvania Miners, and Explosions. So pull up a chair and join your host, Jacob, for a brand new episode on The Battle of the Crater. Welcome to a brand new episode of The History Book. Today's episode is an exciting one as always, but today's episode is extra special because today's show has explosions. Yes, explosions. As the intro said, today's episode is on the Battle of the Crater, and we can't have the Battle of the Crater without the crater itself. So let's get into some backstory. Now, if you remember from our Appomattox episode, I talked about how Petersburg, Virginia was a major railroad station near Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy. After a series of battles down the Virginia landscape, General Robert E. Lee was entrapped by General George Meade and his superior general-in-chief, Ulysses S. Grant, in the town of Petersburg. Meade and Grant attempted to seize Petersburg multiple times, but trench warfare really kind of ensued after each of these failures. At this point, Meade and Grant need to break the siege and take both Petersburg and Richmond, hopefully catch, capturing Lee and ending the war altogether. Now, commander of the 48th Pennsylvania Infantry, Lieutenant Colonel Henry Pleasance, presents a new idea to Major General Ambrose Birdsides, his commanding officer. Pleasance proposes that his Pennsylvania troops could dig a long mine shaft across no man's land to the Confederate trenches and blow up the Fort Elliott Salient and kill all the Confederate troops near it, as well as blowing a massive hole in the line of the Confederates. Pleasants had had plenty of experience as he was a mining engineer back in Pennsylvania. Now, General Burnsides agrees to the plan and orders his men to construct the mine. Construction began in late June of 1864 and was much overlooked by Grant and Meade with doubts that it would even work at all. Because of this, the men weren't given enough digging supplies and had to forage for wood to keep the mine from collapsing on them. Ventilation shafts were constructed by starting fires that would draw fresh air into the tunnels. By July 17, 1864, the mine had reached the Confederate lines. Confederate troops under General John Pegman, Pegram sorry, knew very well that something was going on as they could hear it and see it and that they might be in danger. Rumors eventually reached General Lee that there was a mine shaft being built under his troops, but he refused to believe it for a long time and didn't commit resources to counter the mine. And by the time he did, Pleasance had already changed his direction and the depth of the tunnel in order to counteract any sort of countermeasurements by the Confederates. By July 28th, 1864, the tunnel was completed in a T-shaped under the Confederate trenches and was filled with 320 kegs of gunpowder, which is about 8,000 pounds. Now, before things blow up, let's talk about who's going into this battle, who's going to go to the crater. General Burnside had ordered and trained a division of the United States Colored Troops under Brigadier General Edward Ferrero. The division was made of two brigades, 
one to go left around the crater hole, and one to go right. Unfortunately, these USCTs would not lead the charge into the crater because of one General Meade. On July 29th, Meade changed his mind and ordered the black troops would not make such a charge, because if this plan did fail, it would make for horrible press for the Union Army, something they couldn't afford. General Burnside protested to Grant, but Grant agreed with Meade, and Burnside was for forced to look for white volunteers. When no one volunteered, Burnside brought three white divisions forward to draw straws, and Brigadier General James H. Leadley's 1st Division was selected. Leadley did not prepare his men for the attack and was reportedly drunk the morning of the attack. So things are not well planned, and bad plans tend to lead to worse results. Right now, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we will talk about the actual battle and, of course, the creation of the crater. Hello everyone, this is Jacob, the host of The History Book, here to remind you that you can find The History Book on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on our website, www.thehistorybook20.wixsite.com backslash thehistorybook. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to the show. Now, as I was saying, there have been major changes to the plans for the explosion of the mineshaft under the Confederate lines. And like I said, bad plans tend to lead to worse results, and that is certainly the case here. Originally, the plan was for the mine to be detonated on July 30th between 3.30 a.m. and 3.45 a.m. But, once again, bad planning strikes. Pleasant's fuses were spliced together, and because of this, the explosion did not come, and after time passed, two volunteers were forced into the tunnel to re-splice the fuses. Now, these fuses had to be spliced because they couldn't get adequate supplies from their commanding officers. At 4.44 a.m., the mine exploded. John Haley of the 17th Maine wrote, quote, Earth and heaven were rent by an explosion, and that would have done credit to several thunderstorms. End quote. Colonel William Pragman of the Confederate Army also wrote, quote, They blew it up about daylight, and taking advantage of confusion and demoralization of our troops at that point, rushed a large body of whites and blacks into the breach. End quote. The crater created was 170 feet long, 120 feet wide, and about 30 feet deep. The initial explosion killed around 278 Confederate troops of the 18th and 22nd South Carolina. The Confederate troops were stunned and didn't return fire for almost 15 minutes, but General Leadley's troops, on the other hand, were completely unprepared and didn't leave their trenches for almost 10 minutes. Footbridges were meant to be put across the trenches for Leadley's troops, but those were, again, were missing. Again, bad planning strikes again. This caused the men to waste even more time getting out of the trench. Once they reached the crater, instead of marching around the hole as the United States Colored Troops had been trained to do, the men thought the hole would make a good rifle pit and cover, so they marched into the hole. This also allows the Confederates under General William Mahone to regroup. Mahone, gathering his troops around the crater and noticing there's a bunch of guys down here that are not mine, begins to fire rifles and artillery down into the troops. Mahone would later describe this as almost a turkey shoot. Despite the fact that this plan has completely failed, and is no way 
able to be saved, Burnsides refuses to cut his losses, and sent in General Edward Fierro's U.S. color troops anyways. These troops were surrounded by flanking fire on both sides and were forced into the hole as well. Mahones and General Bushrod Johnson slaughtered the United States color troops as they both attempted to enter the hole and as they attempted to flee it. The dual charges were driven back to the Union line and the trench line was reestablished, albeit with a really large crater in the middle of it. Right now, we're going to take a brief ad break. And when we come back, we will discuss the aftermath of the crater itself and what will be coming next. Thanks for staying tuned through that brief ad break. Union casualties from the Battle of the Crater were around 3,798, and Confederate casualties were around 1,491. Much of those Union losses were to United States color troops, and later a court of inquiry censored Burnside, Lely, Fierro, Orlando B. Wilcox, and Zenas R. Bliss. Now you may be wondering, why was Fierro censored? And that is a question I do not have an answer for. It is quite honestly something that kind of stumped me as well. And I will be definitely doing more research to find out more about that. And if you really want to know, you can always ask. And I will try to give, provide a question when I know more. In early 1865, the Congressional Joint Committee on the Conduct of War cleared General Burnside and condemned General Meade for changing the plans and not providing adequate supplies. However, Burnside's reputation had been so destroyed by this, as well as his failures at the Battle of Fredericksburg, and he was not allowed command after it. General Mahone was praised for his slaughter and the support of General Bushrod Johnson, who, may I add, may in fact have the best name of the entire Civil War for obvious reasons. General Grant would later write, quote, It was the saddest affair I have witnessed in this war. End quote. Pleasance was praised for his ideas and its um execution. He would later be named a brevet brigadier general on March 13, 1865. The battle was clearly a Confederate victory, but resulted in no change to the Petersburg siege. The Confederacy was not able to break out of the town, providing support for Lee's army, and the Union was not able to break in, finally capturing Petersburg, Richmond, and ending the war. This would happen later on April 2nd, 1865, near a little historical park known as Pamplin Historical Park and the Museum of the Civil War Soldier, where the battle broke through. After the war, the crater itself was incorporated into a local golf course as a sand trap and would be used as a popular picnic spot until the National Park System took control of the battlefield and forbid anybody from going down into the crater. As for the next episode, it will be going live on May 12th at our normal time of 10 a.m. and that episode will be on Colonial Rhode Island, New England's little brother. As always, this has been Jacob for the History Book and I'll see you next time.